0: Hello and welcome to the Bible with Megan podcast. My name is Megan and here I talk about the Bible. There are two types of episode in this podcast. The first is where I look at wider themes about the Bible, within the Bible, questions about how we should study the Bible and how it relates to our world. The second type of episode are just Bible studies. And each week I'll go chronologically through a book of the Bible. The Bible is such a beautiful book and such an incredible gift that we have been given by God and I just hope that in this podcast you will learn to love studying it even more and that it will strengthen your faith. So let's get on with today's episode. Hello, it's Saturday again and today we are on Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first six of the seven seals that are opened um, and what happens when they are opened. So, before we get in I'm just going to point you back to my last episode in the Revelation series which is on the nature of time and how time works in the book of Revelation if you haven't listened to that one yet I'd recommend listening to that one before this one and before the rest of this kind of next section of the book where we get into these kind of judgments and things Um, I think it just really helps to kind of get our perspective right as we read these things um it really helped me when I learned that when I was back in um, in uni studying this, so if you want to pop back and listen to that one, go ahead and do that now, or if you have listened to that, let's dive into chapter six. Chapter six is where the judgments begin, Um, and I'm just going to start by looking at the text. I think that's that's what I've tried to do all the way through this series, and hopefully you've picked up on it is by starting just by reading the actual text, thinking about what it actually says, um, and looking at the context from the Old Testament, all the kind of references it has back to the Old Testament, because there are so many in the book of Revelation, um, so many references to the Old Testament, and building on ideas in the Old Testament. So we're looking at that, and also the kind of um, context that John was writing this down in, uh, and kind of imagery he uses from his his time period that would have meant something to him writing it into the original audience the seven churches that we went through um so that's what we're going to do today is look at the actual text and look at those two types of context and then from there i'm going to leave you to think about how you might interpret that but we have to have a solid foundation for our interpretation whatever interpretation you take of the book of revelation you just need to be able to show in the actual book, in the actual text, and I'm reading that, that text in context, where that interpretation comes from, and why you hold it. Um, Obviously, I have my own, and uh, there's some things I'm not sure on um, yet that I've been thinking about, I'm not quite sure where I stand on it, there's other stuff that I'm a lot more kind of certain about which perspective I take, and that will probably show through as we go through this next kind of section of the book Um, but I'm not here to try and convince you of my interpretation what I'm really hoping to do through these podcasts is just to start from square one um, for us to actually read the text what is it really actually saying and then um, interpreting from that place, rather than coming first with our own ideas and trying to put our own ideas into the text, which is something we must be so careful of when we read anything in the Bible, not just Revelation, anything at all. We don't want to be imposing our own ideas into what the Bible is saying. We want to be listening and, and attentively studying to try and understand to the best of our ability what it is trying to say to us. Um... And we want to do that humbly, don't we? We want to have teachable spirits, we want to be humble as we approach the word of God and, and learn from it, um, even if it doesn't match up to our own experience or our own kind of ideas of how things work. Um, this is our authority as Christians, is, is the Bible. So let's dive in at verse 1. Revelation 6 verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say, with a loud voice like thunder, come. I already have so many questions. Okay, so this is just the first verse. This is why we mustn't skim over anything. I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. So this is following out of what we looked at in Revelation 5, isn't it? We talked about, in Revelation 5, why the Lamb is the one who is worthy to open um, the scroll and its seals. Uh, the lamb is jesus we saw the lamb was a um is signifying jesus's way of conquering as as him being this sacrificial lamb kind of covered in his own blood and that being the way that he overcomes um we we looked at that and so we need to keep that in mind as we read on into this section Uh, something else that i learned um as i was researching this specific passage actually is lambs in the kind of greek roman culture the time period that this was written in um were sometimes used as images for kind of people with authority as well um so that's another element to add in there so jesus is one with authority with power um he's also this one who self-sacrificially died and that was his way of conquering evil um so he is the one that is opening one of these seven seals seven in anything you read in the bible or in the kind of jewish hebrew texts um is a number that represents completion i've probably said this before about something else um but it's a number that represents completion so you might think god made the world in seven days in the genesis account um it's written like that that seven days is what it took and that number represents completion um totality and so there's lots of sevens that play out in this book because it represents that completion um these things are being done because god's plans and purposes for the restoration of all things are being brought to completion um in this book that's what the book is is ultimately about Um, so the first of the seven seals that are sealing the scroll is open so these have to happen before whatever is in the scroll can be can be read can be played out um I said when we were looking at that passage there's a few different ideas about what could be in this scroll so you can go back and listen to that one if you would like and then we hear one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder come or it can be go I think in some other translations so one of the four living creatures said this which is interesting isn't it I think if you read this passage skimming over it and perhaps focusing on what's about to happen and and the judgments outplaying, you kind of miss that detail. So, what does it tell us? Um, It tells us that these judgments, these things that are happening, are being brought from the throne room. Firstly, it's connecting us to that vision um, that we just went through of the throne room, of God's throne room and courtroom with um, the lambing the one who's worthy the one seated on the throne and all these kind of spiritual beings and and stuff that are part of that so it's connecting it to that reminding us this is all coming from that place um and these these creatures that are worshipping god are the ones that are involved in in this in kind of bringing that in so they're kind of saying this on behalf of, um of God, of Jesus, allowing this judgment to come. And even the word come or go, as it might be in your translation, is interesting, isn't it? It's it's like these things are being like let loose. Um, it's like they're finally being given this kind of moment when they're allowed out, which kind of makes us think about just the kind of way that, that judgment comes about here. Um, and we'll see this again and again, and I'll pick up on it as we go through, but it, it's kind of this language that is kind of permissive um the one who's opening the seals and the living creatures that represent him in this case are are permissive of this judgment being um, made and the consequences of this judgment as well and i think this is because it ties into the much larger narrative of the issue of sin in the bible and the consequences of sin the um, repercussions of sin the judgment that comes because of sin um it's like that these things although God in his grace has you know given people chance to repent the moment has come where these full consequences of sin must play out and that's part of God's judgment the fact that he is just means that the the um, result of evil that is done has to be has to be given and played out um so these are being permitted now the time has come where these consequences are being permitted he's allowing um sins to have consequences Um, but there's still there's still time we're still at the beginning of this there's still time for people to repent and we will see that as we go through one more thing about the four living creatures so these four living creatures in a way represent creation if you remember back to when I looked through the Ezekiel passage that they kind of appeared in as well um, and the one after that where I looked in more detail they represent the kind of four corners of the earth and kind of all the different aspects of creation. And so you've got this extra layer here of God's creation that is calling in these judgments that are being um, released by the Lamb. Creation is calling them in. And that speaks again into this this way of, um, of understanding this in, in the wider narrative of the Bible creation suffered as well in the fall when sin came about and so creation is calling in this kind of this this, um these judgments to uh be a final kind of once and for all finished judgment um repercussion consequence whatever whatever the wording you want to use is for that sin for that evil for that that twisting um creation's part of this and it's longing for this day Um, to be restored to God and so that's what's going on here is this is creation is part of this beginning of restoration beginning of judgment um, as God being that just king just judge Um, creation's part of that creation's part of that these four living creatures are part of that and uh, the fact that they say with a voice like thunder or the one of them sorry it's just one of them speaking the voice like thunder just harks back to that um theophany motif that i talked about as well um the fact that this is from the throne room of god so creation the throne room of god god is just uh, permitting these consequences that have gone right back from the beginning of the biblical narrative being brought into being here um and beginning this judgment um there's so much going on just in that one verse it's incredible you can see why we need to go through this in detail can't you so this happens in each seal it is open the first of these four seals and the living creatures call them in saying come the first the second the third the fourth with each seal that the lamb opens they say come and call in this so again like i said at the beginning these first four happen on earth this is one of the signs that they happen on earth because these creatures represent um all god's creation um specifically on earth the four corners of the earth so these are calling out judgment into the earth um so what's happening then there's four horses right let's just touch on these four horses um as an overall kind of image and then we'll dive into each one specifically because these are referencing um four horses that are in Zechariah the book of Zechariah with an e Um, chapter 6 so let's go and have a quick read of that Zechariah 6 1 to 8 Zechariah is having a vision here so again I lifted my eyes and saw and behold four chariots came out from between two mountains and the mountains were mountains of bronze the first chariot had red horses the second black horses the third white horses and the fourth chariot dappled horses all of them strong then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me what are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country, the white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go towards the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were so impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go towards the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Okay, so there's a slight difference here in that these are actually chariots with kind of a few horses, whereas in Revelation they're horses with people riding on them. Um, this is probably just a kind of cultural thing. So whether it's that God is changing it slightly as he gives these people their visions to fit their culture, or whether they're writing it down in a slightly different way um to kind of explain the vision to the people reading it either way there's a slight difference in culture here so back in Zechariah's day uh people going to war would ride in chariots pulled by horses this was kind of like a big um kind of terrifying symbol of 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 warfare and then in John's day people would ride on horses um on horseback um, there was a specific army in this period who the Romans were really scared of. Um, they were called the Parthians and they would ride on horseback with bows and arrows. And they'd kind of mastered the art of riding backwards. So they'd try and get the Romans to follow them up a hill and then would just just shoot them. Because um, obviously they're above on the hill, riding backwards on these horses, going up and shooting behind them. Um, so... The scholars i've kind of looked at reckon that this is just that kind of cultural difference but it's making the same point here that these is this horse imagery and it's these kind of this army imagery of people being sent out to to conquer to fulfill a mission um and that is suggested in zechariah by this kind of idea of patrolling they have been sent out by god to patrol the earth to bring about this kind of judgment as a mission um, and what what's going on in the wider context of that passage in Zechariah is they are kind of avenging um, God's people um, because God's people have been persecuted. That's what's going on in this, in this vision. And that's kind of the same thing that's going on in Revelation here, but it's much wider. So these horsemen, horses that are sent out, are being sent out in the same way these ones in Zechariah are to bring about... Um, judgment in order to avenge God's people who've been persecuted. And this whole vision is talking about the end times, and it's eschatological. And so God's people here, this is this is on a much wider level than it is in Zechariah. So this is all God's people, all the people that have repented and are following Jesus, um, and they're being avenged by this judgment coming out upon the earth. Uh and they've been martyred, they've been persecuted, and we'll see this in a minute. But that's what these four horses are kind of referencing back to, um, to give us this idea of what's going on here. And it does help, doesn't it, when we know that kind of context. And like I've said before, the people reading this originally, and John himself would have clicked onto that straight away. They knew their Old Testament really, really well. So they would have known that that is what this is kind of speaking into, that kind of idea, that motif of um, judgment coming um also the the horsemen and the chariots in Zechariah are assumed to be kind of angel figures um kind of spiritual beings that are bringing about this on behalf of god so that links into the living creatures sending them out as well uh so there's there's all these different ideas that are tied into this one motif we must be careful not to simplify it too much into just some sort of little kind of grid or whatever um there's a lot going on here there's a lot of different threads of narrative that go throughout the whole bible that are being pulled on the chariots are sent out kind of to the whole earth to bring about god's judgment um to those who are persecuting his people and in the same way this is happening here these horses horsemen are being sent out to the full corners of the earth um, to bring about judgment on those who are persecuting his people those who haven't repented who are still living in in, in sin in bondage to sin and haven't turned to follow jesus same idea do you see why that's linked and that kind of helps us understand why uh, the horses are here so let's look at those horses and what they bring about individually now in the kind of context of that wider idea that we've just seen so verse 2 John says and I looked and behold there's that prophetic language again that we noted before a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer okay a white horse with a with a rider who has a bow and a crown who is conquering you recognize some of this language from back in the letters to the churches um, that we went through the idea of of conquering of being given a a crown um those things are given by jesus aren't they to the ones who conquer they're given by jesus so the authority that this this rider has to do this thing is given by god i think that's the point that is here he's he's been given a crown again it's this kind of permissive thing he's saying i'm allowing this i'm giving you this um ability and authority to come out and to conquer um a white horse why is it white why are there different colors here We've seen the colour white already be linked to Jesus and his followers um, in the letters to the churches, haven't we? And also being given a crown um, and this language of conquering. I think this first horse is something to do with all of that. Uh, if you look at the language, it just makes sense, doesn't it? I've A lot of the commentaries I've read suggest that this is talking about war being allowed. Um, or s- some of them, anyhow. Um, but I think a really good interpretation of it that i've looked at that kind of just dives into like i said i was going to do at the beginning dives into what the text is actually saying here and into the context is suggesting that this is highlighting a kind of shattering of the illusion of what was called pax romana so in the roman empire um they had this phrase pax romana which means like peace in rome the peace of rome um, and the idea behind it was because of their empire, they had brought peace to all these places. And of course that isn't true, because they did it by bloodshed. But also, this is emphasising that they were defeated by linking this kind of imagery to those Parthian riders who have the bows. And saying, no, no, um, Rome isn't the one who brings peace. Um, they have been defeated. But I think what this is talking about is the defeating of Rome, Um by Jesus, by his conquering, He is the one that that is going to bring about true peace um, in all the earth. And that's what this is the beginning of, um, the unfolding of these of these judgments that is going to bring about this peace, true peace, true peace in all the earth. And so this first horse, I think links into that somehow. Um, they're being given the ability to conquer, people suggest this is about international warfare but when we see it conquering anywhere else in this book it's talking about jesus's followers and their ability to have patient endurance and to overcome um and overcome by the word of their testimony i don't know i i, I think there's more going on to this than it just being like oh well, this is a releasing of international warfare i think there's more going on here i think this is about the way that god loves to overcome um which is by his the power of 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 the testimony of jesus and what jesus has done to bring true and lasting peace and we see jesus coming in in a white horse at the end of the book so i think maybe it's a mirroring um you know this is the first judgment that is released and we see jesus coming in a white horse at the end like i said i don't want to offer too much of an interpretation i kind of want you to draw your own conclusions but as i read that passage and um that's what i think and there's some ideas there from commentaries as well that I've spoken about so you can kind of look into that a bit more if you would like um the second seal is then opened and the second living creature says come and out came another horse says John and it was bright red and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should say uh, slay one another and he was given a great sword So this one seems to definitely be about physical war, okay? Peace is being taken away. The rider is being permitted, again, there's that permissive language, to take peace from the earth um, and to slay one another. Now, red is obviously the colour of blood. um, And slaying one another suggests civil war, which in the ancient world and probably to tears out if we think about it's considered one of the worst types of warfare, where people turn in on one another. Um, and this is, again, a, a judgment that is being released, this consequence of people living in sin and selfishness. Um, this judgment is being released because of their ways, and so it's resulting in them slaying one another and turning on one another. And... Um, there's this war that is being allowed out and is being permitted and then what happens is the third seal is opened the third living creature says come and then john says i looked and behold a black horse and it's right had a pair of scales in his hand and i heard what seemed to be the, a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for every denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine okay this this needs a little bit more explanation doesn't it so, black is a colour associated with famine and that's the judgement that is coming here, that is being released. Um, ha- the horse, the rider even, sorry, has a pair of scales in his hand and then we hear this voice coming from the midst of the four living creatures. So we can assume that is is, is God, perhaps, but, but John doesn't specify. Um, talking about the price of different kind of food and things. So this is talking about famine, and famine follows in the wake of war, and quite often um, it can kill a lot more people than warfare does. It's what happens to the ordinary people that that are caught up in war, and land is destroyed, and resources are needed for war, and so people go hungry. Um, Again, that's that's what's happening here. That bit about wheat and denariuses and all the rest of it is basically about the price of the food rising... Um, that it means it's difficult for people to feed their families a denarius would be about a day's work a wage of a day's work and um it's not buying a lot basically is the point um do not harm the oil and wine is kind of god's god's grace in this so oil and wine are actually part of a, a staple diet um in this area of the world uh because water could be you know, difficult to drink. Obviously we have nice water that all the kind of icky stuff is taken out of it in the West. Um, this is kind of strange to us, but, but putting watered down wine is kind of what they drank instead. So, I mean, you'd have to drink tons and tons of it to actually get drunk off it. But because, um, the reason was to kind of get rid of bacteria or, or whatever. So they drank wine in that way, really, really watered down. Um, and also, um, oil uh, from olives um, was used in in a lot of things so those are kind of staple things Um, and again this kind of references warfare as well when when people came and conquered an area of land they'd very rarely destroy vineyards for wine or um, those kind of olive groves because they take a long time to regrow it's not like things like wheat that you know can grow quite quickly it would take a lot of years for that stuff to be restored. And so that kind of... Um, the the person that was overcoming the land would... Was conquering the land, sorry, would would want those to be in place because then if they were taking over it, then they would use them or get money from them or whatever. So those wouldn't be conquered. But it's also God's mercy here. And showing that these are short time judgments. These first ones are short-term judgments. Um, which kind of links back to, to that first horse. I reckon this is... These judgments are showing people um kind of what happens what happens when you do not repent and it's the opportunity to repent here is still wide open um it's not taken away just yet this isn't that final thing where people are separated um the opportunity is there and so god god is god is showing his his grace in this and leaving that door wide open for people to still repent and, t- and turn to him and follow him and be free of that uh, simple way of living and come into righteousness so then the fourth seal is opened the fourth living creature says come and john says i looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was death and hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth so after famine comes death. Um, the color of the horse being uh, pale is um, it's it's kind of the same color of a corpse. This kind of actually it's actually like a kind of greeny yellowy color that is in the original language translated as pale here, but it's that kind of corpse color. So this is about death. As, as we said, this this horse and this rider, this rider even sorry, its rider is given a name, Death and Hades. And um, Hades was a name in This culture of the underworld of where people thought they went when they died. So this is about death coming. um, And in kind of whatever way it it likes, it is taking people. But it is being limited. It's only allowed, um, it's only given authority over a fourth of the earth. So again, this isn't the final judgment of all things. Um, These are short-term judgments. God's allowing a a level of this of this stuff to happen, but there's still an opportunity here for repentance. Um and we see that now as the fifth seal is opened. Um so now we are kind of transitioning back into a heavenly well, this is all in a heavenly perspective, but this bit here is happening actually in heaven. Um so the fifth seal is open. Let's read this. It's verse nine. When he opened the fifth seal who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So these people under the altar, who are they? They're the ones who have been slain for the word of God. They are the ones who have been on the earth um, and have been killed because they are Christians, essentially. And they have been steadfast and they have overcome. Um, They have stuck to the word of God with patient endurance, but they have been killed, they've been martyred because of that. Um, by by humans, by human structures, by empire, um, and they are there in heaven now, and they are and they are under the altar. Um, we'll talk about the altar in a bit. We'll we'll get to that. It comes up again. I'll, I'll dive into that a bit more when we get there. Um, but they are there, and they are saying, um, "How long until until everything is judged?" I guess everything, um, and what happens in this fifth seal is they're actually just told to just wait a little longer they are given um a white robe so they are they are given they're they are shown as conquerors by jesus um they are there they are kind of in his in his presence but they're told to just wait a bit um until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete now in the in my translation it says the number of i think in in the original kind of language that's not necessarily there in fact it's not numerical in the way that we read it as english people it's kind of more about everything being made complete that is about a specific um number of people um again it's the same idea as like these sevens it represents completion so the completion of all the people that also um need to to be there and In this judgment, what has to happen is that those who patiently endure must be killed. When Jesus tells us to follow him, he says we must take up our cross. Take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. And to take up our cross is what somebody does when they're walking towards execution. And for the early Christians and for many Christians in the modern world today, that is what it's like to confess Jesus as Lord and to follow him it's an execution um they very well might be killed for it um but but that's shown here is something that firstly is honored the people that do this in a steadfast they are honored by jesus um they are with him but also it's it's part of these things that must happen that must play out um the effects of sin is that these people are going to be killed even though they speak perfect truth even though they are living in love jesus himself spoke perfect truth he was love everything he did and yet he was he was crucified and so we follow that as christians and um that's always a possibility um we're not you know this this is part of that and and part of these judgments being released of so this consequence of sin being allowed is that that Christians are killed um by the simple people that rule the empires that they are living in um and even just the people around them it's a, a very sobering reminder that we live in a fallen world and we are going to be in that fallen world until all things are restored and uh and so we must persevere and stay steadfast um, in in what we believe and in how we live in following Jesus. Um, you know, there's so many people in this world that haven't heard the gospel of Jesus in, in a way that they can respond. Um, and so this isn't going to, this isn't, you know, it's not just going to go away. That's our mission here on earth is to share that good news and to bring as many people into this kingdom as we'll see in chapter 7 as we can from all over the world Um, and so the persecution of Christians is going to keep happening until that comes about and that's what this judgment is telling us and these people are asking how long, that's a cry that happens in this sort of literature um, in in apocalypses how long does this stuff go on before all things are kind of vindicated in full says just wait just wait a little longer just wait a little longer again it's god's grace he's leaving time for people to repent um but it's still a good thing to be asking to be crying out how long it's coming out of this place of a longing for the completion of all things it's not out of a place of of selfishness i mean these people have died for their faith they are so wanting the completion of all things and for for um sin and evil to be you know completely done away with um but there's but there's still a bit more time says the lord there's still a bit more time there's still more things need to happen before that and the, the the door's being left open for people to come into the kingdom and you know we're living in that kind of time right now um where the door is open for people to repent still and so um it's our responsibility as christians to make that clear and to try and bring people in Anyhow, we'll we'll see more on that in chapter seven, like I just said. So that seal happens in heaven. Um, so all of the earth has had its its kind of judgments in those first four. Fifth seal opened in in heaven, and so is the sixth. And what happens in the sixth is a kind of um, another marker that this is the beginning of the end, I guess, the beginning of the completion of all things, the beginning of this final judgment, it's it's the precursor to it. Um, And this is littered with imagery of something called the day of the Lord, which we see again and again in the Old Testament. So let's just read it, it's verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black like sackcloth, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Okay, so what's unfolding here is the day of the Lord. It's a whole theme from the Old Testament, and all these things that John is saying, all this imagery that is used, is referencing that. Um, I'm going to give you a list right now of all the passages, well, the main ones that are being referenced i will stay them slowly so you can go and read these take this as your homework for this week in in your kind of your time when you're studying it won't take you too long to get through them all um just go and have a flick through and just see this imagery um in the old testament and what what it's on about so isaiah so start in isaiah isaiah chapter 13 verses 10 through 13 isaiah 24 verses 1 to 6 Isaiah 24, verses 19 to 23. And this one is really important. If you only read one, read this one. Isaiah 34, verse 4. Ezekiel 32, verses 6 to 8. Joel 2, verse 10. Joel 2, verses 30 and 31. Joel 3, verses 15 and 16. Habakkuk three eleven uh, sorry six to eleven Amos eight verses eight to nine Jeremiah four verses twenty three to twenty eight and psalm sixty eight verse seven and there are more places that that you'll see this but there's some of the main ones you can go and have a look through. Um, there's other texts that have these same influences in the new Testament say matthew twenty four Mark 13, to 25, and Acts 2 as well, um, which actually quotes the Joel scripture in verses 19 and 20. So if you want to do a little study about the day of the Lord, you can go and look at all those, all those passages. Um, I got that lovely list from Michael Heiser and the Naked Bible podcast. I'll link that episode in the show notes if you want to go and listen to that about this chapter. Um, The other thing I'm going to link in the show notes is a Bible project video, which was only a few minutes long, about the Day of the Lord, about what it is, um, because that is just really, really helpful. But ultimately, the Day of the Lord is about human and spiritual oppressive powers being judged. So it's a phrase that's used of the Exodus um, when the Israelites are taken out of Egypt. They're being freed from slavery. Uh, The Day of the Lord is used in reference to that. It's often used in other times as well, um, even in reference to Israel itself, when, when it's, it's fallen into sin and into idolatry and is oppressing people, the day the Lord is coming against it. And then um, it's something that's looked forward to um, in the end times, which is probably what this is talking about, when God is judging those human and spiritual oppressive powers. Okay, so who do we see being judged here? The kings of the earth. The great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, and everyone, save and free, hid themselves. Okay, Um, this hiding themselves as well is is a reference to those passages. Um, But it's this God's judgment coming upon those oppressive human systems, ways of living, those who oppress others. Um, And so there's the human ones who are being judged here, but also the spiritual ones. And we see this in verse 13 when it talks about the stars of the sky falling to the earth. It's very, very unlikely. This is literally talking about stars as we understand them in the 21st century um, falling to earth. Um, stars in the ancient world were seen as being kind of supernatural powers representing angels or gods or um whatever that kind of that kind of thing um in that ancient world and even in the bible stars used as an analogy for spiritual beings and so what's going on here is not just a judgment of humans on earth but is a judgment of those spiritual beings that have been part of sin and of evil of um the beginning of their judgment is coming to you know paul says doesn't he in ephesians our our battle isn't against flesh and blood but is against the powers and principalities and those powers and principalities are being judged here and the consequence of that is that all the oppressive human systems that they are behind um are also falling so this this spiritual evil that lures people into sin is behind these oppressive kind of empire structures um, that are trying to be godlike um, and and are are actually evil in the way that they are um, are ruling. That's being judged at the same time. It's it's all linked together. Do you see it? it's all linked together here? And this is why we can't take Revelation out of the wider biblical narrative we we can't do that it's not just a book to decode that is a really niche little thing about a niche little time this fits into a much larger story this fits into to god's um battle and rescue mission against good and evil well against evil he is good um And so there's a spiritual aspect to this too. And we're going to see this, especially as we move on to talk about uh, uh, Babylon. Um, I'm going to talk about this some more, so we will get into that more. But that's what's going on here. Um, These six seals are showing the beginning of the crumbling of how the world is working. Um, The kingdom of God is coming through. And the sinful way that humans have set up the world is beginning to collapse around them. Um, because of God allowing these judgments to to come about, so I hope that was helpful to you. Um, I understand that there's a lot there. You might have a lot of questions, and that's a good thing. Think about it. Spend time in this passage, and I just hope that gives you some kind of equipping of going through the text slowly, seeing what actually says, some of the context. So as you listen to things, just filter it through this actual text filter it through these things that are from from the old testament um from from the context and just just say does that does that really fit does that fit within the wide biblical narrative as well um because that's what revelation is about that completion of this whole narrative of the bible so i hope that was helpful to you um next time we will be looking at chapter 7 uh, which isn't the seventh seal, so there's a little interlude here, um, where something else happens, and then in chapter eight, the seventh seal is open. So, we're going to be looking at that interlude, which is talking about the 144,000. Um, so if you're interested in what that is all about, I'll be going through that passage of text next Saturday. So, I look forward to seeing you there. Um, have a wonderful week, and God bless you in your study of this book thank you so much for joining me thank you so so much for joining me for today's podcast if you have five minutes to leave a review of this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on that would be really really helpful and it would help more people like us who might enjoy studying the bible to find the podcast and to join us in our journey If you'd like to support me in making this podcast financially, you can use the buy me a coffee link that is in the show notes to just donate a little bit towards making these resources. You can also follow me over on Instagram at Bible with Megan, or on word, where I update everything that's going on and have content on there as well. So I really look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Bible with Megan podcast.